Uh, the first reading for today oops, um, comes from Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, verses 1 to 16, and that's page 741 of the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to read along. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered, and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Second reading is found, uh, it was 1 Peter, chapter 5, starting at verse 1, found on page 1,050. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over it those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, 
You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, not because you know that the family of believers, uh, because you, sorry, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the grace, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Nice to see you all tonight. This is my uh, chair, so forgive me for this. It's got a nice little crutch holder at the back there, so... Nice to see you. My name is Paul. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. We are in uh, One Questions for God, and we've been serving our community. We've had uh, lots and lots of questions, uh, and tonight's question is a very difficult one, a very emotional one. It's uh, why is there so much corruption and power abuse in the church? So I'm going to pray for us as we come to this difficult question. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are loving and kind and gracious and gentle. And Father, we ask for your forgiveness right now for times when your church, your people have been just the opposite. Father, we pray for our time together tonight that as we explore this question, that you would fill our hearts with great truths about you. Would you bring comfort and healing to those who have been hurt. And Father, help us to love each other well. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is there so much corruption and power abuse in the church? Uh, There's there's no other word to start uh, this sermon than the word sorry, is there? We must say that word sorry. Uh, The fact that the community is asking this is one of the top questions is just... uh, just realistic what we would think about the church today. And you can understand why, because uh, hardly a week goes by without another story of another victim at the hands of evil within God's church. And you think about the extent of the abuse that's happened, the the word sorry, it seems very inadequate, doesn't it? Uh, But we must say it. We must acknowledge the, the damage that's been done. We must acknowledge the, the hurt that has been caused. We must acknowledge lives that have been damaged beyond our understanding. If you if we learn nothing from the, the Royal Commission, it's the, the prevalence of the abuse, the unimaginable number of survivors and victims, and the horrific stories of how the institution that we call God's church 
horrendously just try to cover up so much abuse. And there's no quick fixes, there's no quick fix. Uh, we can't just say the word sorry, we can't talk about restoration. The, the world needs to hear repentance, yes, and justice, yes, and, and real change. Can I say, if you're sitting here today as a survivor of church abuse, I'm so sorry for what happened to you, and I'm so glad you're here, and we're here to honor you and to respect you. And if you're here tonight as a, someone who is with old wounds, uh, my prayers that this sermon would just bring ongoing healing and ongoing comfort. But maybe as I speak tonight, you're here and there'll be some past events that, that you need to talk about. And can I encourage you to talk about it? See, abuse in God's church takes many and varied forms. I guess the most obvious is sexual abuse. But it's not just sexual abuse. You've got sexual abuse, you've got financial abuse, you've got domestic abuse, you've got spiritual abuse. Uh, with the recent story of Cardinal George Power, the sexual abuse is on our agenda, isn't it? I, I don't know whether you saw the film Spotlight a few years ago. It's the, it won the Academy Award. It was the, the Boston Globe newspaper that uncovered hundreds of priests and thousands of victims of abuse within the church. But it's not just the Catholic Church. I know a 16-year-old girl who was groomed by her Anglican minister and made to feel special and part of his family. And she said this, I was, she was racked with guilt and she was powerless to stop him. When it comes to financial abuse, we hear stories of, of pastors who manipulate their church members to give more and more and more with these manipulative tithing talks or pastors who are uh, evading the tax system or, or pastors who are stealing from the collection plate or uh, I, I know of a couple called Teresa and Bob who walked out on the church because uh, the church was demanding more and more money for yet another needless building project. And when they raised questions about it, they were told to shut up. When it comes to domestic abuse, the 2017 article in the Sydney Morning Herald, it shook us. The prevalence of violence in the home of pastors' wives. The abuse of clergy wives here in our churches. And tragically, when many of these wives went forward to speak to their ministers or to other leaders... They either were not believed, not taken seriously, or even worse, told to endure it, to forgive. Jess said this, the more power he gained in the church, the more rigid and emotionally dominating he became at home. He just didn't like any woman who showed any hint of confidence. I guess it was a power thing. But it's not just the wives. This is the daughter of a church pastor. She wrote this. During my teen years, I, I tried to tell several other pastors at my church that my dad was abusive. I tried to explain his violence and lust while skirting around my own embarrassment and a nagging sensation that I was betraying my own family. I told one pastor and he recommended I pray about my dad's temper. 
Worse than that, he actually tried to sweep it under the rug, convinced me to stay quiet. He did not call the police. He neglected to involve a counsellor and told me things like forgive and forget. It's horrific, isn't it? There's sexual abuse, there's financial abuse, there's domestic abuse, and of course there's spiritual abuse. A man called George was a member of the church, not this church. He was on the music team, he was leading a small group, he was on the parish council. He went to talk to his pastor to say, could he step back from a few things? And his pastor told him, put first the kingdom of God and make other sacrifices. Church leaders who manipulate and coerce from the pulpit, who who twist the word of God and preach fear-driven, guilt-laden sermons. Or or pastors who basically bully people into obedience, driven by fear of a leader, not the love of the Lord. Pastors who are basically narcissistic or over-controlling, holding power over their flock. Or evangelical churches that create this misogynistic culture that devalues women. Or when a pastor becomes untouchable, with no accountability, and often lots of secrecy. One man from one church told me this. We were told that it was more important to obey leaders than to question what they were doing. It was unthinkable to question the motives of my pastor. Another person said, when selfless service is usurped by a compelling ambition for narcissistic control, abusive leadership just naturally follows. It is so prevalent, it's so awful, it's so horrific. And to make matters worse, too often abusive church leaders are restored to leadership far, far, far too quickly, if at all. So sorry seems hardly an adequate response, but we must say it because in every pew there are victims and believe me there are many 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 more people who are not in church tonight anywhere in church tonight because they will not step foot in a church again because of the way they've been treated by church leaders there's a movement called hashtag church two they ask two main questions is your church a safe house for survivors and how will your church leaders respond to any abuse disclosure So our question is why? Why is there so much abuse in the church today? And one answer to that question has to be the word power, the problem of power. The Bible is very clear that that God is powerful. He is all-powerful. He is the Almighty. And the Bible is clear that he does give power to people, and power can be a good thing. The ability to act is a good thing. But the problem is when too many church leaders misuse that power, abuse that power, and they use it for evil rather than for good, and when they think they are God. Deuteronomy 8 verse 17 says, God says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have done this. But remember, the Lord your God, it is he who gives you the power. 2 Timothy 1 is a famous verse about talking to the leader Timothy. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. So God gives church leaders a spirit of power. 
But power without love is dangerous and power without self-control is dangerous. Remember James and John, the two disciples of Jesus, and I think they kind of epitomize this issue. They are are vying for power. They want to be more and more powerful. They're power-hungry. And in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus slams them and says, no, use your power for good, not for evil. That's the issue here, misusing power, the lust for power, the longing for control, the, the focus on human power, not on God's power, and people thinking they are like God. Someone said there's too much power for too long in too few hands always leads to abuse of that power. And I do wonder whether in the church, in the institution that we call the church, there's been too much power for too long in too few hands. See, leaders are often put on a pedestal and leaders are often revered and venerated and leaders often speak from a, a, a position of loftiness rather than this position of love. And they are so different from Jesus. Remember Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. What did Jesus say? He came not to be served, but to serve others. To be a servant leader who gave his life as a ransom for many. That is, that is true leadership. Servant-hearted, other person-centered leadership. So when Jesus spoke about leadership and power, he speaks from this lowly posture of servitude and love, not from that lofty pedestal of entitlement and privilege. Or the Apostle Paul, it's on the screen. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And yet time and again in God's church, God's leaders did the exact opposite. They do everything out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And in their pride, they value themselves above other people. And they look to their own interests rather than the interests of others. See, again, power can be a good thing when it's used rightly in love and selfless servitude. But when it's used for self, it's a very dangerous thing. So the misuse of power leads to two, two basic sins in the church. There's a sin of omission and the sin of commission. The sin of omission is when you fail to use your power for good. And I think we've seen that time and time and time again. We, leaders who have failed to exercise their power to protect the vulnerable, to care for the needy, to support the victims. That is part of the issue, the horrendous failure of people within the church to believe the victims, to support victims, to the failure to use power to call people to account and to press charges, yes, even criminal charges. There's, there's too many Eli's in God's church. Eli was a high priest in the Old Testament. And he was basically weak. He failed to use his power for good. At 1 Samuel 2, verse 22. Now Eli was, a, was very old and he heard about everything his sons were doing, how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting And so he said, oh, why do you do such things? No, my sons, this is not good. What a pathetic, weak response. It's more than not good. It is sinful. It is evil. It needs to be brought into the open. I guess the bigger issue is the sin of commission, the the actual abuse that's happened 
And again, sadly, there are so many examples in the Bible. King, King Rehoboam, he, he's a bully. He uses his power to intimidate and to bully people. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, the king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given by the elders, he followed the advice of the young people and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. It's that kind of horrible, abusive, bullying leader. What about King David? Remember King David? He was a leader in God's people. He abused his power. He saw a beautiful woman and he thought, I'll have her. Today we call that sexual abuse. He slept with her, got her pregnant, killed, killed her husband. He lied, he deceived, he cheated, he thought he could get away with it. But David forgets that God sees and God knows. There's a beautiful bit in the Bible when Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, you are that man, and he exposes his evil. That must always happen. So friends, here are some warning signs, some warning signs of a power-abusive church. Authoritarian leaders. Leaders who base their spiritual authority on their position or their office rather than their service. They're over-controlling, micromanaging authoritarian leadership. Hypocritical leadership where they preach one thing and do another. Manipulative leadership where we manipulate people by making them feel guilty for not measuring up spiritually or we lay heavy religious burdens on people. But you know you're in an abusive church when the load gets heavier and heavier and heavier. When there's no accountability. When leaders do not answer to anybody. Elitist leaders where they seek honorific titles and special privileges that elevate them above other people. Secrecy is a big thing. Everything is done in silence and no communication is straight. It's all vague and confusing. But untouchable leaders who gather a little group of people around them with this cult-like celebrity personality. Watch out for that. And I need to say that God hates, God hates abuse of power. So many times in the Bible, God condemns the wrong use of power. He condemns King Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 22. He slams him in Jeremiah 22. We read Ezekiel 34, how God says to these so-called shepherds, woe to you, shepherds of Israel. Woe to you, you only care for yourself. I'm against you, he says. I will hold you accountable for my flock. I will remove you, he says. And that beautiful bit at the end of Ezekiel 34 where God says, I myself will shepherd my sheep. I will bind up the wounds and I will care for them. But perhaps the best example are the Pharisees, those religious people. Remember those people who know the word of God, they know their Bibles and they claim to know God, they claim to love God, but they treat people so badly. And Jesus smashed them and condemned them in Matthew 23. And Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but, but don't do what they do. For they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them under the people's shoulders. Woe to you, teachers of the law. Woe to you, Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
God hates it. Now one solution, a solution to abuse in church has to do with the people that you appoint as leaders. And we need leaders in church. But we need humble, Christ-like leaders. It's really interesting. When you're looking for leadership in church, the Bible talks about character more than competency. Read 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, the list of what to look for in your elders, your leaders. And it's all about character. There's only one thing there that's a, a competency, a skill, that's the ability to teach. All the rest is character. Not given to violence, not drunken, gentle and kind. Dave Harvey says, there are few things more dangerous to a church than a, a pastor who is extraordinarily endowed on the gifting side but extraordinarily deficient on the character side. That guy is a decaying tyrod waiting to break. So our character matters and words like humble, servant-hearted, compassionate, kind, caring, above reproach. But the word most often used for leader, not most of often used for leader, is the word shepherd. It's a beautiful word. It's the pastor. One Timothy chapter, one Peter chapter five. It's on the screen. He says, "Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care." Isn't that beautiful? We're called to pastor and shepherd the flock that God has entrusted to us. They're not our flock; they're God's flock. Not our people; they're God's people. They're just under our care, watching over them. Uh, the shepherds used to care for their sheep and feed their sheep and protect their sheep and walk ahead of their sheep and sacrifice themselves for their sheep. And we as God's pastors, God's shepherds, need to do the same for his flock here. Feed you, care for you, strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up the wounded, bring back the stray, guard, protect, and lead. He goes to say, not because you must, not because it's your job, but because you're willing, you can't think of anything else to do. Not pursuing dishonest gain. We're not in it for the money. We're not in it for, to make a quick buck. But eager to serve other people. Not lording it over. Not ruling. Not being those horrible, bullying, king-like leaders. But humbly being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus comes back, that's the time we receive our reward, the crown of glory that will never fade away. And all of you, whether your leaders not, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Don't be proud, don't think you're better, but just be humble. Because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. That's what we're looking for, leaders in God's church who will be humble, Christ-like, honest, no secrecy, no darkness. And leaders who will submit to governments and authorities. God has placed governments and authorities that we are called to submit to. So no church leader should ever handle abuse situations on their own within the church family. Now go to the police. So often, you know, abuse in church is not just a sin, it's a crime. And those confessions that say, that say stayed and sealed, they, they cannot happen. And the leaders are called to repentance as well, you know. All Christians are called to repentance, but Jesus never ex excused evil. He never sugarcoated sin. He, he called us to repent. And, and yes, he offers forgiveness. 
Forgiveness when there's repentance. But repentance doesn't necessarily mean restoration. Too many leaders are restored where they should never be restored. What does that say to the victims? Here's what the Bible says about true leaders. It's on the screen. Abusers drive. The true leader will lead. Abusers say, I. True leaders say, we. Abusers insist on being served. True leaders just, just get on with serving. Abusers governed by guilt and fear. The true leaders create trust. Abusers control by guilt and manipulation. True leaders influence by example. Abusers think themselves better than other people, but true leaders esteem others better than themselves. Abusers rely on power of their own authority. The true leaders rely on power of servanthood. Abusers serve themselves and their own goals. The true leaders serve other people. Abusers wield their own authority. True leaders empower other people. Abusers fix blame on others. True leaders fix the mistakes. And abusers know how, and the true leaders show how. But I want to beg you to pray for that kind of leadership in our church. To beg God for leaders who are humble, pure, with eyes fixed on Jesus. Why is there so much corruption and power abuse in the church? Because it's led by flawed people. Let me just remind you, at the end of the day, church is just the institution. It's a human organization. It's never going to be perfect. But as John Dixon says, you, you don't chuck out the church just because of its mistakes. Uh, forgive the language here, but uh, when, when a musician butchers a piece of bark, that is, the composer bark, uh, when a musician butchers a piece of bark, it doesn't mean that bark was crap. And when people butcher God's church, it doesn't mean the church is crap. God loves his church. But at the end of the day, you need to understand what the church is and who the church is, not what the church is like. The church is full of people who love Jesus, who must love Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And then Jesus says to Peter, on that confession of faith, on that rock, I will build my church. So church is just people who claim to love Jesus. And that's why the only solution to this this question is this, that only Jesus is the perfect servant-hearted leader who never fails. Only Jesus is is that humble, true shepherd. Only Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And only Jesus is the chief shepherd. So, So the more that we know Jesus and are like Jesus, the less abuse and the less corruption will happen in God's church. There's a bit at the end of John's gospel that I really love when it's after the resurrection and they're having breakfast on the beach and, and Jesus is talking to Peter. And he doesn't just say, feed my sheep. He asks him the question three times. He says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And it's really quite obvious. What he's saying is, unless you love Jesus, you will not feed the sheep well. Unless you love Jesus and love Jesus more and more and more, you will not feed the sheep well. And maybe that is the problem. 
Maybe you've got leaders in God's church who don't really love Jesus. You've got to ask the question sometimes, haven't you? Can these people really be Christians? Maybe that's the problem. We've got professional shepherds, proud shepherds, pagan shepherds who don't really love Jesus. End of the day, Jesus is our good shepherd. He is the one who will heal and he is the one who will bind up our wounds and he is the one who will care for us and protect us and heal his church. If you are a survivor of abuse here tonight, can I ask you and beg of you that you don't give up on Jesus? I totally get why you might give up on the church, but don't give up on Jesus. He is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the true shepherd who cares and nourishes and feeds you and holds on to you. I'm going to ask Susan to come up and just share briefly on this question as well. We live in a fallen world that's in love with sin. I'm sure I don't need to convince you of that when we're talking about something so dark. Not are we talking about abuse, but we're talking about abuse in church. And so because of the way that abuse plays itself out, I wanted to talk about what it can look like within our church context. As Paul mentioned briefly, for Christians, in addition to many types of abuse, including financial, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, we have on our arsenal spiritual abuse. And that is when abusers distort the scripture or misuse the teachings of the church to justify abuse. And how I've seen that play out is physically violent husbands telling their wives that he is doing this because she isn't obeying him and it is her fault. That God demands that she remains completely silent whilst he does whatever he likes with her and that she's not allowed to leave because God hates divorce. To act violently is evil in itself, but to falsely claim divine sanction is so outrageous. These are the words that the Archdeacon Kara Hartley used to describe her own reaction to spiritual abuse, and I can't think of better words than that. It makes me so angry that somebody would impugn God's character and God's words like that. How can somebody claim that our own loving God, who couldn't bear to see us suffer and therefore sent his son to suffer in our place, could possibly want to see women and children trapped in abuse in their own homes? I pray for the day when Jesus would return when all acts that were committed in darkness will be brought to light, when God will judge with justice and truth. Besides spiritual abuse, as Christians, we tend to believe the best in people. Therefore, when victims try to share stories of abuse, they report often to not being believed by their church family. They are advised to work on their relationship and people take the abuser's side. Abusers are known to manipulate not just their victims, but people around them so that they can maintain an environment in which they can keep abusing, and that is called grooming. And we need to make sure that we as a church remain immune to grooming, 
that we need to believe the victims, that when someone comes forward and starts sharing stories, that it's taken unimaginable courage for them to able to, able to even speak about what's happening to them. And if you are someone who's come forward before and you weren't believed, I am so sorry. And if you are someone who came forward before and you were dismissed, I am so sorry. You can come and talk to me. I'll believe you. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've been abused, well, I want to say well done for being here. And I am so thankful that you are so amazing that you didn't believe the lies that were told to you about God. Because God loves you and he wants you to be safe. And his first and main priority is for your life and for your safety. If you're someone that knows something or suspects that something is wrong, of course you can come and talk to us. But if you think that it's leadership that you think is engaging in that behaviour, please know that there are things outside of our church that can help you in investigating in that. In, the diocese has set up what's called Professional Standards Unit, which is an organisation that investigates allegations such as these. I've had dealings with them in the past and they are excellent, so please don't hesitate to be in touch with them. And I also want you guys to know that in light of everything that we've talked about, last year the church parliament called Synod unanimously adopted a policy of response to domestic abuse and they are available for anybody to download and view from the Sydney Anglicans website. Along with an apology to the victims of violence within the church, there's clarification over Bible verses that's been used to justify violence. Of course, there's nothing in the Bible that justifies abuse. And it absolutely condemns abuse and lays out clear steps on how a church can respond when people come forward. It's an excellent policy that was crafted by pastorally sensitive people who sat, who sat with victims hours upon hours upon hours and listened and have come up with this policy. It would be so easy to say at this point, because we put these things into place, that there's never going to be anything like this happening again. But that's underestimating the power of sin. Within our own human power, all that we can do is try to reduce the prevalence and the ease with which this can happen. But what we truly need here is, of course, the one who has conquered sin and his help. So we need to be praying. We need his help to ensure that this doesn't happen. We need to be praying for the victims, that they may be able to escape their dangerous situation without fear, that the victims will know that we will help, that the victims will be healed mind, body and spirit and they are known and loved and precious and they're more than what their abusers have made of them. And for us as a church, we need to be, the, we need to be praying that we are the kind of place where people can feel safe, that we would believe victims when people come forward and that we would look after them. And of course, we need to be praying for the leaders of our church, that they will walk closely with God and that they're reading their Bibles and it's impacting on them so much and they're becoming more and more like Jesus that just the mere thought of possibly abusing their power would make them physically ill. Because only the supernatural power of God will help us to be rid of this darkness in our midst. So I'm going to be praying now for all of these things. Let's pray.
Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we praise you that you love what is right and always do what is right. We thank you that your eyes are always turned towards us in love and compassion. God of heaven, the corruption and the abuse of power in church reminds us of how broken and sinful our world is. And it prompts us to pray, come Lord Jesus. We long for the day when you will administer perfect justice, put an end to evil and wipe every tear away from every eye that trusts in you. Today, we particularly pray for those who have been hurt by the church. We are grieved by the times when your church does not display the love of Christ which was for which it was created. And we know, Father, that these things grieve your heart even more. Lord, we recognize that because we are living in a world tainted by sin, we can be part of the problem. We humble ourselves before you now and ask that you would reveal the ways in which we have not been as loving as we ought, when we have caused more division than unity, more hurt than kindness, more pain than comfort. Convict us now of the ways we have fallen short of your glory. I'm going to give you some time to do that. In your mercy, we ask for your forgiveness and pray that you would bring healing and comfort to all who are hurting. Please put an end to injustices and abuses of all kinds. We pray for all believers in Christ and churches to pursue holiness with greater zeal and to continue to implement structures that prevent any abuses of power. We pray for our society at large who have many reasons to ignore or dismiss you. Please may we and all your followers not cause further disgrace to your son, but rather be his positive ambassadors. We ask that you would give us wisdom, sensitivity and grace as we discuss these matters with those around us. We pray these things in the powerful name of the only sinless and spotless one, your son, our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>